You're listening to the Game Street Office podcast recorded on Thursday the 15th of June 2023. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined today by... Marie D'Alessandri. And Brendan Sinclair. The dust has settled, Chris Dring has flown home, Summer Game Fest, Not E3, the June Game Showcases, the Summer Game Showcases, whatever umbrella term you wanted to kind of shoehorn into whatever has happened in the past week and a half, it's all over. Uh, we would like to take this moment to kind of talk about what we've seen in the past week. <clears throat> we've kind of given initial takes in the microcasts that we've released over the last couple of days. Those were focused on Summer Game Fest, Xbox Game Showcase, and then Ubisoft Forward, touching on other things here and there. But we thought we'd to kind of take a kind of a more more of an overview at what has happened in the past. Let's call it Summer Game Fest, if we will, or not E3, um, and just get our general thoughts on what came out, what stood out to us, um, and where we think this might go next. In terms of what stood out to us, I will say now before I forget, there is a roundtable piece on our site. We published it on Thursday, uh, which is the indie games and the, the titles that we think deserve to kind of get a bit more attention. Each member of the team kind of picked out their choices there, so please do go have a read of that. But we'll probably get into a bit more details today. Uh, Marie and Brendan, I'll kind of put, put a broad question to you for now. What did you think of this past week's showcases compared to E3s and not E3s in years past? So compared to E3s past, this was like, this was, this would have been a pretty sad E3, Mm. uh, I I think, all in all. Um, The Microsoft showcase would have been just fine as a Microsoft showcase at E3, but no Sony, no Nintendo, and the the uh, other other really big pillar there would have been kind of Summer Game Fest. And they announced like eight, ten new games over the course of like two hours. And almost everything that came out, like a lot of those games were new to me, um, just because I hadn't actually uh, kept up with, you know, whatever... Um, whatever these studios were, were announcing. There's too many games to know all of them that are in development right now. But um, yeah, you look it up and it's like, oh yeah, that was that was actually at last E3. This was at a showcase event earlier. This has been announced, you know, and, and re-announced for years. And it, it, it's just not, it's, it's hard to get that um, like critical mass of, of hype, I guess, about, about something when it's like here's a scattering of games many of which you've known about or seen before even if you don't actually remember them and yeah and then ubisoft was the other i guess big one that we would have seen in normal e3 and there they had star wars they had avatar assassin's creed prince persia that that would have been a solid showing for ubisoft as well i think on on a normal e3 year but all in all, like the the expectations of what a proper E3 would have been, the excitement, the things that we would have expected to see announced at a proper E3, far, far would have outstripped uh, what we expected this week or what we saw this week. But that's kind of the thing, because like we didn't we didn't expect a proper E3 this week, even if we had had technically an E3 this week which was supposed to be run by our parent company. Um, but that was canceled a few months ago, basically due to lack of participation from the biggest players. Uh, you know, that wouldn't have been 
a proper E3 either, I don't think, uh, especially without Sony and Nintendo playing a part. Uh, so it's 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 weird because I just think that that era is over now. Like there were there was a height that you could reach with with Microsoft, Nintendo, Sony announcing their big things all within twenty four hours of one another. All the third party publishers showing their biggest stuff, all of it during that same week, and that kind of like anticipation. And attention on the industry i don't think that we are likely to get that from any of the remaining shows any of the replacement shows any actual moments in the industry except for possibly a here's a new uh console announcement yeah. reveal event like they're just i i don't i don't think anything is going to reach that you know that that kind of level of of marketing hype because that's you know that's what e3 was and and that's is that good i don't it's it's less exciting it, it's probably cheaper for the companies involved but as as a you know as as a consumer uh, as as someone that's like i got money burning a hole in my pocket give me something to throw it at um what they have now just i, I don't think I, I don't think it's going to i don't think it can approach what e3 was i feel like i spent i think like a lot of our conversations this week around any of these events was oh wait did we know about that <laughs> game already and i felt like that sums it up really well is that they were exciting things i i loved uh xbox event i thought it was a really good show uh but like as 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 Brian, brendan highlighted there, there wasn't a whole lot of new things to get really excited about and yeah, I, I kind of, throughout the week, sometimes kind of even forgot it was supposed to be E3 season type of things. Like, which, I can't remember which day was Capcom, but literally the next day when we, we, we started chatting at work among us and stuff, and I was like, oh shit, there was Capcom yesterday. I just didn't even think about it. Whereas, like, previously during E3 season, it's like the only thing you think about as a games journalist is like, when is the next show? When am I, like, what am I watching? What What is happening? And... There wasn't that excitement that uh, everyone looking in the same direction type of thing that, that there was. Um, so that was weird. I, I don't know if I missed it, didn't miss it. Uh, it's a bit of a weird one. I, I do like that on the indies side, it still felt like something quite important, maybe. I'm not sure if that's totally true, if that makes sense, but just because there's a lot of games, so it was difficult to pick things out of the crowd and remember what I've seen and really figure out like what standouts but it still remains like a, a wish list moment for me so like I wrote down all the indies that I liked and went and wish listed them all and followed them all on social media and like it gave me a good first impression at a lot of games uh, I still feel like they're gonna probably <laughs> require to like they, 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 they will probably need to make a lot more efforts like the developers i mean to further stand out like they will have to double down on marketing and press and calls to action and all of that because it's still really difficult to stand out but it's kind of i still feel like there's value for them now that there's like more event and small events and indie focused events so like i like that indies can now own their own narrative and that we're a bit further away from like all the big companies that used to have all the spotlights during that season. Uh, but 
equally because it is fragmented it means that there's also fewer eyes on every single showcase so it's a bit it's a bit of a weird one but I, I do think overall it's just felt a bit it all fell felt a bit flat I think for me I agree it feels like the the conversation has died down a lot quicker like I remember in years past you would have people people would be talking about the games that were announced and then the games that were on show and that's partly because you had a ton of journalists in Los Angeles for well over a week seeing behind closed doors demos or getting hands-on and the kind of the discourse around E3 or not E3 would be longer running so like to the point where like the, you know, the following week it's all people were talking about were the the big games like the number of games the um the standout hits, the hidden gems, and you know we, you know, it's Thursday. It already feels like that's kind of dying down slash has died down. I mean, maybe that's just my eyes on my Twitter bubble slash my feedly feed and my headlines, but it just it doesn't. There's not as much conversation around this as there usually is, and that is by nature like that that that's inevitable because it's a smaller, smaller scale because there's fewer events, few, not fewer events, sorry, fewer big games kind of announced there's fewer journalists over there there's fewer companies over there so that is perhaps to be expected but it's kind of a shame to see them that that buzz die down a lot quicker um june was always this kind of moment where hey this is what the games industry has got going on and like both for people in the industry and then people outside the industry and i think chris has run an opinion piece on his on what he thought about um Summer Game Fest and all the different events over there because he wrote this kind of review on his on his plane home. Um, I'll link that in the show notes. It's um, he basically said like yeah, it just it, it you went there and you didn't if you went there in E 3s past or not E three past or you know, events past you felt like you were part of something big you were at something big and this year because it was so much smaller because it was so segmented it doesn't feel like the world is watching. It doesn't feel like as many people are watching and that feels like something has been lost. Um, I'm kind of with Brendan. I don't know if we'll ever get back to that. Games have changed. Games have become a lot more mainstream. So there isn't as much of a need for that moment as there was in the late nineties and the two thousands. Um, but it's still, it's still kind of a shame to see it go. I think that's purely just me speaking from years of just, I, I enjoy the frantic week of watching all these different showcases and you know reading all the people different people's different opinions and so forth. I enjoy that week. It's it's a frantic but fun week to be a journalist and to be a consumer. Like I you know, used to, I remember pre-internet, eagerly awaiting the July issue of various games magazines because those would be the ones with all the E three reveals in all the new screenshots, all the hands on impressions. Like having this mega dump of all games to get excited about was a great moment. But now that it's spread throughout the year, now that it's a smaller, it's a smaller occasion in June. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get back to that ever. Yeah, one of the things I noticed coming out of this uh, this week is is that like I've I've got a list of games that I'm interested in that I saw this week, and most of them are from the indies. Like on on the the AAA side, like uh, like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, I am absolutely all over because yakuza like a dragon was like my game of the year that year just fantastic and i'd love to see more uh but infinite wealth like all they did was they showed a teaser trailer that you get like nothing out of other than like oh is he he's in hawaii now is it the whole game is it part of the game who knows is it size whatever like like there's there was so little about actual you know information about the game to get excited about that 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Uh, Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown looks cool. Um, Ubisoft showed the gameplay uh, part of that and, and the, you know, the way that they are using time travel mechanics in the actual combat that that looks like something that'll it'll take a you know a few minutes to wrap your head around and should should make for some like oh yeah i can do some pretty cool stuff in in these in these battles now that looks new that looks neat and it also kind of obviously harkens back to um, the old 2d prince of persia games and and some some older style of gameplay that that i'm a sucker for and then Capcom's got uh, Kunitsu Game, Path of the Goddess, which looks like, you know, Capcom's made umpteen fantastic 3D action games, the the Devil May Cry, God Hand kind of vibe to it. And this is like, okay, well, it's, it's sword play and no one has a face. Bad guys don't have faces. The good guys don't have faces. Just no faces. Which, you know, maybe that cuts down on the AAA development budget. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, that's, that's kind of it from the AAA side for me. But then on the indies, it's like Baby Steps looks fantastic. Mars First Logistics looks like a heck of a lot of fun. I Am a Caterpillar is, is you're not going to get, you know, AAA. You're not going to get the AAA side of things making I Am a Caterpillar. Henry Halfhead, Breeze in the Clouds. Like there's there's a lot of really cool, interesting games, and I encourage you to at least uh bring up on YouTube and scrub through like Gorilla Collective, Day of the Devs, um what were some of the other indie showcases? Wholesome games, um, Black Voices in Gaming, uh and and then like my the the indie that I'm most anticipating now i guess is venba and i won't have to anticipate very long because it comes out next month um and it's it's made by a, a team here in toronto and it's it's about a uh, indian immigrants to canada in the 1980s and they and and making food and so it's like hey here's a chance to learn something about south indian cuisine and there's you know an interesting narrative component to it and it, it doesn't look like anything else out there and like that's all that stuff is is just super compelling to me at this point compared to you know the the wealth of the the triple a stuff which still seems to be uh stuck in in a handful of very very familiar ruts like Star Star Wars yeah, Outlaws looks, you know, people that got a really good reaction from people. I look at it and I'm like, okay, it's a cover-based shooter in the Star Wars universe. Um, okay, I I, I don't know what to <laughs> see, do with that. I'm I'm over cover. See, I'm shooters. a sucker for Star Wars and I'm a sucker for the Han Solo fantasy. So that that was the one that and Starfield were probably the only big AAA games that stood out to me. Like, yes, I absolutely do want to play those. And Assassin's Creed Mirage, but I will not open that particular Pandora's box, Marie. Shall I? <laughs> Don't worry, I will open but, um, it later. Yeah, no, I, I agree, <laughs> Marie. Sorry, you were going to you were going to agree with Brendan as well. No, no, no. I was I was just going to say that I mean I I made like that case already during the microcast so maybe I won't go on about it but um the Summer Game Fest 
generally made me feel like there was no space for my taste in the AAA industry anymore. And I do think the rest of the week kind of redeemed that. Uh, and so it was, it felt like a lot of, of samey games before the Xbox and Ubisoft thing. And I was like, oh my God, is all the games the same? There's nothing in there that interests me. Everything is terrible. Everything is trying to be Elden Ring, except worse. And um, but then, then they were they were cool AAA things that did interest me at Xbox and, and Ubisoft as well. Uh, Prince of Persia. I'm not going to repeat what Brendan said, but that looks amazing. Um, I won't fully open the Assassin's Creed Pandora's box then, but I will say that I am very much looking forward to anything <laughs> Assassin's Creed related, and I very much enjoyed every single Assassin's Creed game, even the bad <laughs> ones that James hates. Uh, <laughs> I also really loved, what did I love? Uh, Starfield was, I mean, for me, the biggest surprise of, of this entire week, uh, simply because I had really had no interest in this game, and I really loved how they showed a lot of it without revealing too much, if that makes sense, and that really made me interested in the game that I really, like, I'm not I'm not a space person, don't really care for space games, but I, maybe I will play this one space game. Um, Fable looked incredible. I mean, difficult not to love this when living in the UK. It, just, like, it feels like it's scattered to you. Uh, <laughs> and then South of Midnight was my favorite reveal. I can't say a whole lot about that because it was just a little CGI teaser type of thing. So I have no real idea of what that game will be, but it looked incredible. I like the vibe. It's just the vibe. Um, then Obsidian re returning to RPGs. I mean, we already knew about that, but is always a big deal to me. That will be a day one buy. And that's pretty much it's on the AAA side, which is actually quite a whole lot now that I've said it out loud. Uh, but Avowed, yeah, Avowed, then... Avowed did, sorry, just to briefly um, interrupt. Like, Avowed did look like mm -hmm. a really good stopgap until the Elder Scrolls Six arrives. Because the Elder Scrolls Six is not coming for at least another five years, clearly, if they've only just finished Starfield. So having Obsidian do its own kind of Elder Scrolls style thing, I would, yeah, that did look intriguing. Yeah, Obsidian is, is really just really good at that. And like, I, I have one of the people who really loved Pillars of Eternity and just, I just, I just trust them with that type of genres. And so, yeah, I will definitely play that. But then on the indie side, like I made a list that probably only has like 10 games in it. And, but there, there were so many good things. I mean, Brendan mentioned a lot of them already. So I'm only going to mention the others that is not already mentioned. But Haunty was probably my, my favorite one that I saw, where you just play this little ghost who just haunts things. And as you haunt these things, you take the ability. And it's a twin stick shooter. And it's just like, it looks gorgeous. It looks gorgeous. It looks like melancholic. I just love the look of it. I love the play style or what, what it looks like it's going to play like. And it's just, yeah, just absolutely love it. It looks like everything I love. Uh, Tiny Bookshop impossible for me not to absolutely adore what this game is going to be because you just own a I always say like when when everything else when everything else fails I will just give up on living in a big city and be, be, being a journalist and I'll just go open a bookshop somewhere I always say in like Cornwall or Wales for some reason but anyway but also I could do that I could do what tiny bookshop shows I just you know just got your bookshop and you travel from place to place is what's not to love um summer hill looked incredible again again like in my in my fantasies of like leaving the city i could just have sheep somewhere and then you just put the sheep in in a different field that's great love it i will i won't play that uh then 33 mortals looked great uh, mostly because Sandal Lotus is incredible spirit fairy is one of my favorite games of all time so i will trust anything they do uh they showed which show i think it was um 
wait, who was it? Wholesome Games showed a bit more of Snufkin, Melody of Moomin Valley. Moomin's is one of my favorite IP of all times. Nothing tops that in terms of like uh, children's literature for me. So having a game adapting that universe is incredible and I will play the hell out of that. Uh, yeah, there's probably a whole lot more that I'm forgetting. The point is there were so many good indies and I'm just happy that we get to see a lot of that, which maybe previously, like when E3 was a thing, we would see less of them, question mark. As you see, I'm not like completely sure about what I'm saying, but yeah. Was it weird to anyone else to see a licensed game in the Wholesome Games lineup? Wait, say that again? Was it weird to anyone else to see a licensed game, Moomin? No, I, in, I wonder in if, the wholesome games. I wonder yeah. if we'll see more of that going forward because IP holders are are branching out and are actually reaching out to indies or at least smaller studios to make games based on their IP. Case in point, Disney. You know the fact that the next Mickey Mouse game is do, being done by Delala Studios, like a you know a, what about twenty people at most, and they're twenty minutes. You know they're half an hour down the road from me. Like they, they I've I've been to Delala. It's like a small warehouse. A very very small warehouse on an industrial state like it's a tiny tiny studio and they've got mickey mouse one of the biggest ips in the world disney are also talking to the um talking to indies to do things like tron um i'm sure there's an indie star wars game in the works somewhere like i i would love to see more indies being trusted with um ip big ip and even like well, even smaller ip like absolutely you know like moomin is not quite on the scale of, at least in terms of revenue, is not quite on the scale of like, you know, Mickey Mouse and Star Wars and so forth. But in terms of, you know, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm, various thoughts are clashing together in my head here, but I went to a um, bookshop opening uh, over a couple of weeks, over the weekend, um, which honestly was like Tiny Bookshop. It was a little caravan that had books in it and you went in and bought them. And they opened it with the author of the Percy the Park Keeper books. Well, why wouldn't it be great for an indie to make a Percy the Park Keeper game? You're never going to get a big studio making that. So, yeah, I, I would love to see more indies and particularly more wholesome game developing indies to get big IP. And I think, like, in the, in the case of this specific IP, like, the Moomin has very, very specific vibes, hmm. which I think... I'm going to stop saying the word vibe, I promise, but it does, in this case, kind of fit the whole wholesome games aesthetic, if that makes sense. So I did think that... I mean, I'm never really objective with these things, but it did feel like it was quite a good fit. Um, having said that, it is... Now that you've mentioned it, <laughs> it is interesting. I'd never really... I hadn't really thought about it because maybe Moomin is not to the scale of a Star Wars or anything, but they have, like... The, the licensing game, they're playing it really, really well, and I've played it really, really well over the years. I do think this IP is bigger in certain places over the world mm. than... Like, you, I don't know at all, is moving a thing that is big in, in North America? No idea. Like, in France, it's a thing that probably does not exist. People are aware it exists, but people don't really buy the books and stuff. Obviously, huge in Scandinavia. Anyway, I'm not going to go into the history of Moomins because I could do an entire podcast about yeah. that, but this is not where we're here. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, it's in... <laughs> sorry, that, go that, ahead. No, that's next I was week. Just gonna answer your, I was just going to answer your, your question. In North America, I, I don't think Moomin is particularly well known, but... Um, uh, I did go into Uniqlo and I saw a variety of Moomin t-shirts and I knew what they were. So, well, yeah. now I need to go to Uniqlo. <laughs> we will have we we'll have merch for stuff that we don't even know what it is. It's kind of sad. <laughs> it is. 
at the risk of dragging us back on topic. Um, yes, <laughs> it's fine. I, this, so, so what do you think Nintendo's next system is going to be? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so I, on the indies though, like I, this is one of the reasons why I kind of hope the whole E three not E three week doesn't go away entirely, because I think the indies benefit from as much as the indies going to, don't get as much attention as we'd like, and as much as these games are sometimes drowned out by the big blockbusters, particularly in years where there are more of the big blockbusters. Like, the fact that you've got Wholesome Games, Day of the Devs, Guerrilla Collective, and there was another one that I haven't actually watched through yet, but it was um, Accessibility, which I think is a game specifically about... Um, it's a showcase specifically about titles that are either have really good accessibility options or are developed around raising awareness of various types of disabilities. I need to kind of look through that one. The fact that these are all happening during let's call it Summer Game Fest, like, I think helps them. As you quite regularly reminded me this week, Marie, like, Day of the Devs followed directly on from Summer Game Fest, and, and Jeff Keighley was saying, okay, right, please stay tuned for Day of the Devs. Like, so there's an element of, it's almost the, the gravity created by these um, these larger events pull people towards the smaller events, the indie showcases, and, and hopefully this gets more people watching them. Like, to agree with you guys, um, yeah, like I, there was a handful of big AAA games I like the look of. Star Wars, obviously, um, Starfield. I do love the look of Assassin's Creed Mirage because that goes back to the roots of the series, but that is definitely getting close to opening the Pandora's box, which I won't do. Are you opening, opening the, the box? box. You're opening the box. But then I honestly look at the list of games that I, I thought, yeah, I'm going to give those a look, and most of them are indies, which is unusual for me. Like, I, I do try to play more indie games, um, but... I, I don't know. Just like the, 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 I'm usually distracted by the AAA ones. I have to be, I have to confess. But I look at them like so. Um, Ete, that uh, painting game, essentially, like it's kind of like the unfinished Swan, where you're wandering around very blank environments and you throw color at them to bring them to life. And doing so earns you more experience, so you can throw more color. And there's like side quests, kind of like um, East Shade, which is another indie game where people will ask you to paint something mm. for them and you can paint but whereas like e-shade it's just you frame up a screenshot and then that creates the painting this you can actually like every object that you found and colored you can place almost like you're um, laying out a, a 3d level you place it onto your canvas and create a scene and that's your but and you can just do that you don't even have to do the quest you can just do that um you know do do the painting mechanics and make something. The fact that there was a lot of talk of like going at your own pace and having freedom, which I, I loved E-Shade, but you were kind of limited by your, I think it was your inspiration meter. If your inspiration meter dropped, then you wouldn't <laughs> be able to write, you wouldn't be able to paint, which is probably... Tr- just like in just real like life. Just like in real life. But, but as someone who didn't, I, I, you, I could never quite work out how to get, where I got my inspiration. So this looked a lot more freeform. It looked... It looks incredible. There's just something really satisfying about bringing colour to a colourless world. It's why I still love the De Blob games. It's why I'm still still hoping in vain for a De Blob 3. But until then, Ete looked amazing. Um, Cocoon was really interesting. So that was the one where um, there are worlds within orbs. So you're running around kind of a top-down... Um, yeah, you know, kind of weird, surreal, fantasy world. And then you can leap out of that world and that world is just an orb and then you move that orb somewhere else in the next world that you're in and then that I think that changes where you are in that orb world when you go in but then that world that you're in carrying around the orb that's a world within an orb it's very kind of uh, men in black galaxy marbles in terms of how it breaks your brain thinking about hang on there's a world inside that one but then there's a world within that world 
it just looked really clever, really interesting puzzle opportunities there. Um, Liz Fang of the Time Shift Warrior looked really good, like the one where you essentially create past versions of yourself. So you go and fight something, I think you then rewind and then go and fight something else, you then rewind, go fight something else, and then all your past selves are fighting alongside you. If Prince of Persia doesn't steal that for whatever follows the Lost Crown, I will be shocked. Or if that's not a well, thing... it's in... like uh, Super Time Force did the the same thing with like kind of a contra thing right mm, yeah you, you play you play through a level and it's too hard and you die but then on your next play through the level you also have your last playthrough as a ghost character yeah you. so similar but like on again on, and again and again but this was on a more of a kind of a moment to moment this is like within one combat encounter you can then set up different um past selves it just looked really clever there was another kind of reminder of viewfinder viewfinder is this absolutely amazing puzzle game where you essentially hold up like Picture, you're walking around these very surreal landscapes. You hold up, like in you know, in first person, you hold up a picture or a photograph or a painting or something of a similar landscape. And if you line it up right, that then becomes in your world. So if you're holding up a picture of a bridge lining up with a gap, that bridge will then just appear, and then you can cross. It's I, it's really hard to describe visually. Go and check that the YouTube trailers now because it looks amazing. Um, there's a game called Questmaster. Questmaster is essentially a Zelda maker, albeit only focused on dungeons, but it is you are essentially making Zelda dungeons, and not in the Link's Awakening Switch remake style where you just move different rooms. You actually lay out everything. You just, you define the puzzles. You set out the combat encounters. I've basically been wanting a Zelda maker since A, Super Mario Maker, and B, since Nintendo teased us with the 2D Breath of the Wild uh, prototype they showed off at GDC 2017, which honestly looked like a Legend of Zelda maker. Um, so I just I really intrigued in that one because that that would just scratch the itch I've had for like to make my own Zelda games. Um, there was a couple that, I, that I, I am a caterpillar looked really good. Um, my son is going through a thing at the moment where he loves the hungry caterpillar, so he would be all over that. Station to Station looked like a nice relaxing railway game. I love nice, relaxing railway games. Um, Simpler Times, I think that was in Day of the Devs. That was the one where you're just, mm, yes. you're packing to... That looked really that good. That looked amazing. Like, you're just packing to leave, but you're spending the time to get memories and kind of just look around your space and kind of reflecting on child. just looked absolutely brilliant. Like, I, I really liked Day of the Devs' style of presenting stuff. Like, Wholesome Games, I can understand why they don't do this, because they had, like, 80-plus games to get out in within an hour. But Day of the Devs, the fact that they kind of were a bit more selective and you actually heard the developers talking about the story behind each one the inspirations behind each one and really kind of talking you through the origins of the game I just, I loved that I thought it was a really really well put together showcase um, it was just yeah it was just really really solid year in terms of indie games I I, did, I was making myself laugh I was watching back um, Wholesome Direct again last night and um, I don't know if you two recall but like there would always be years where the media would pick on a trend within E3 games. So there was the year of the bow because there were like four games where you had a bow and arrow. And then there was the year of the boat because there were four or five games where you were on a boat. Based on Wholesome Direct alone, this was the year of the garden. Everyone has a garden that they can grow plants and, and just relax and do what they want. And it just, yeah, I just love the idea of the year of the garden. Um, but yeah, it just, it was, it was a really solid lineup from the indies. And 
I'm glad that they're there within this not E3 mix because I think if they were spread out throughout the year, I think if you ran a Wholesome Director, a Day of the Devs or a Guerrilla Collective just at a random time, not near the proximity of any other larger event, I worry it wouldn't get as much attention as it should and as it does at the moment. Yeah, like we just were like half an hour into a podcast here where we've we've talked about the indie stuff as much of the AAA stuff, right? And this used to be the reason for for e3 the reason why so many people would um get involved with it even even though you know it's it's such a massive was such a massive show and there was so much chance of being drowned out just when everyone is is looking at everything from that week you can still reach whoever your audience is you know like the the people that that come for summer game fest AAA games will stick around and see the day of the devs stuff or the people at, at E3 who are going to the Nintendo booth will see the the other you know third party booths on the way uh, people will listen to podcasts like this one and find out about cool sounding games that they missed on the show floor and and like that that was working but the people that were paying the most and that were producing the games that everyone turned out to see that were being compared against one another in a winners and losers of E3 kind of fashion every year and did not like it when they lost and spent all that money to lose, they decided, you know, it's it's better for them to just run their own direct-to-consumer kind of uh, events and nintendo was the the first i think to really glom onto this when they stopped doing press conferences and would just do an e3 nintendo direct you know they're they're during the year nintendo directs were also um kind of uh in an early forerunner to the to the modern uh to the modern style of game marketing and we had um an interview with uh shigeru miyamoto a decade ago at at e3 because that was the kind of access that you might be able to get uh, at e3 in its heyday um and he talked about the the nintendo direct and he talked about the the idea behind it um and i I just recapped this in in 10 years ago this month the the latest column and the the quote he said is like of course as i'm sure you're aware e3 used to be the place where you made all of your big announcements but as we're seeing more and more, particularly with the advantages we have with the internet, we're able to make announcements really at any time. So the other thing we didn't want to do was go through all the news here at E3. We wanted to be able to have some news to continue to share with consumers over time. And, you know, it's, it, I think it makes sense for Nintendo, for Sony, even for Microsoft uh, to, to not do that. Um, or, or to follow Miyamoto's thinking there. But, you know, w- we do lose something from it because we, we lose the spillover effect that had on on the people that weren't, you know, leading the industry. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, maybe this is why Microsoft seems like it's still willing to do an E3, but Sony and Nintendo aren't because I guess they, they would have the most to lose they are the the ones best situated to just kind of say okay random thursday everyone show up and see what we got and everyone will so it's 
it, it's a little um I don't know, I'm, I'm very much of two minds on E3 and whether its demise has been a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, because I, 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 I do have fond memories of the show from, you know, decades ago before I had been to a bunch of them. And like, and it was, you know, a super stoked 20 year old going to his first E3 and just being like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. This is everything that they tell us is so important. Ah, uh, and that was fun, but it it also, you know, was a was a, a horribly wasteful marketing spectacle that only o- only served, as far as we could see, the the interests of you know the the biggest and the the most profitable companies around. But uh, I think with Summer Games Fest and like the, the current model. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's becoming clearer to me how everything else that we used to think of as getting drowned out during E3 week was still benefiting from it because it's still seeing, you know, it's still surfacing it for, for a number of people that it just wouldn't have had access to otherwise. I mentioned the thing. I, I've been thinking about this the last couple of days myself as well. Like, I, I, there's me saying like, yeah, you know, I, I worry that the indies are getting drowned out. That they're not getting as much attention. There's as many eyeballs as the big AAA games. But ultimately, not all of them need it. Like, you know, millions of people watched all the way through Summer Game Fest, and not millions, not necessarily the same number of millions of people watched Wholesome Direct. Just on a pure numbers game, that looks like well, you know, Wholesome Correct Direct is missing out there. It's not. It's not getting as much attention, but the developers in Wholesome Direct don't need millions of people to buy their game in order to fund the next one. They just need enough. They need to reach the right audience, um, which is what Wholesome Direct does. They need to convince enough people to buy them, you know, buy the game that will support them to the point where they can then continue developing another one or kind of, you know, build upon the one they've already released. Like, the level of success in the indie space is different to the level of success in, in AAA and therefore the need is different and so what they get out of E3, Summer Game Fest, not E3 or whatever the heck this week has been is different. I think the fact that this week is still here as kind of, you know, risk of repeating myself the fact this week is still here in some form I think overall is a good thing for the industry and a good thing for all aspects of the industry it will never return to the E3s I remember as a consumer, the E3s I remember as a young journalist, the E3s I remember as a senior journalist. Like, it, it won't ever get back to that stage. But providing there is always something there in June that serves the industry in the way that different aspects of the industry needs, I think it's going to be okay. I think it's going to be okay too. And I'm personally not like, I, I don't really want things to go back to the way they were even anyway because they were very male dominated, very white, very all of that. And like this year and like previous years during the pandemic and stuff has just opened things up to just more people. So there's maybe like on one given event, like fewer eyeballs, but I think overall there are more diverse eyeballs on more events. And that that's the good thing that I take away from this and express really badly right now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy about how things are and I'm happy that it seems like we're finally opening up to welcoming more people uh, 
in this industry and offering games that will attract more people in industry as well. And while, while I was listening to you guys, but also thinking back about what we just said about the licensing thing and the moomins and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, maybe it is a bit weird to have a, a licensed game in, in, in a show like this, but I'm not sure there's like a whole lot of people who love moomins who also play video games. I mean, I don't know. There's me, at least. That's one person. But so if that means that having those like licenses be part of these uh, indie shows mean that maybe people who have not would have not considered gaming before will now be interested into the the medium, then that's a win. And I think that's kind of sums up what I think about a lot of what happened this week. Summer Game Fest, Showcase, whatever, apart. It's just, I, I like that. It feels like there's more games, more various games for more people. And yeah, I'm not really eager to go back to the way it was, to be honest. I'm quite happy with that variety. As Like, on a personal note, I mean, then I don't know what the industry thinks. I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's good for them. I don't know if everyone <laughs> is, is, if it's good for their business or whatever. I'm just happy that we we seem to be able to be more varied these days the risk of using a f- cheesy marketing phrase there's something for everyone sure <laughs> that is all we've got time for this week um if you haven't already please do go back and listen to our microcasts they uh, delve a little bit deeper into each of the uh, the three major events and uh discuss our thoughts uh relatively fresh i've been referring to it as the morning after trilogy because they were recorded the morning after the shows um, so yeah do go back and listen to those those are on the uh, same podcast feed as this that you're listening to we are on all podcasting platforms of your choice you can get more news insight and analysis of the world behind video games at games.biz we will be back soon with another episode thank you so much for listening thank you